If you've been feeling that the world is acting a little less civil these days, you're not alone. Find out what you can do about it next on Live Happy Now. There are pretty subtle adjustments that we could make Mm -hmm. that really have a big influence on others as far as lifting them up and getting them to contribute more and feel more satisfied and, you know, greater sense of thriving in work. Hello, this is Jeff Sanders, and welcome back to another episode of the Live Happy Now podcast. This week, we're talking about something many of us have become more familiar with recently, incivility. Today, we're talking with Christine Parath, author of Mastering Civility, a manifesto for the workplace. And although her book looks at how we can bring about more civility in the workplace, she has a lot of great insights on how we can apply those same practices and principles to our daily lives. Live Happy Now's Emily Miller caught up with Christine, so let's hear what she has to say about how we can master civility in our own lives. Hi, Christine. We're so excited to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, so you literally wrote the book on workplace incivility. I think everyone has experienced incivility at work at one point or another, and it seems like a very common problem. I wanted to know what drew you as a researcher to that topic? Well, sadly, it was my own work experience. Uh, So I worked in a really toxic uh, work environment and my first job out of college, which I thought was going to be my dream job. Mm. And so I was um, really surprised. Uh, It was very eye-opening how people treated each other and what the costs were. And, uh, you know, a few years before that, I had actually seen my dad suffer a heart attack scare after working for two very toxic bosses over the course of a decade. And at the time, I thought he was an outlier. But after my own work experience, I realized that too many people experience these kind of negative work environments. And the consequences are really important uh, that we acknowledge and understand better and so forth. So it set me on a path to try to document and show what are the costs of instability and what are the potential potential benefits of creating, you know, workplaces where people can thrive. Oh, that's really interesting. So you have a lot of real life experience dealing with incivility. Yes, sadly. <laughs> probably all too many people do these days. It's true. So it's true. It's too common. It is too common. That's why it's so important that, that uh, to have your book and your expertise. So uh, you've written in several articles that incivility at work is on the rise. And uh, do you Why do you think that is? Well, I think the number one reason why people say they're uncivil is because they're overworked or they're feeling they're overwhelmed with Mm -hmm. stress. So uh, the idea that just probably uh, too many folks were feeling stretched, um, whether it's just the workplace or just in life in general. You know, more people feel like they're on 24-7. You know, they're supposed to be on email or checking their phones and Um, You know, I think just in general, more dual careers and more um, responsibilities and and feeling like we're kind of on Mm 24-7 isn't helping the fact um, and isn't really allowing us to maybe be as mindful and as present as we could be with Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in the workplace. Interesting. So what do you think are some steps that individuals can take to become more civil at work? Well, I think uh, one big picture point is just being more Mm self-aware of their effect on others. So, for example, a lot of us 
we just have blind spots. Like we don't realize that there are little things that we do that might negatively affect others that we're working with. Um, for example, you know, a lot of leaders will interrupt people without recognizing that mm-hmm. um, and, you know, kind of shut people down. Another complaint that I hear a lot is, you know, my leader wasn't paying attention to me because he or she is on their phone or on their laptop while I'm talking. You know, they, they're multitasking, um, not paying attention to me or I don't feel heard. Uh, and so that those are kind of big common ones. Um, certainly email is an issue. Mm-hmm. People feel like they might have been slighted or they might felt treated rudely in some way mm-hmm. by a message from a colleague. Uh, so those are some of the, the big reasons uh, that I hear, you know, people kind of complaining about how they're treated, but really small things like not feeling acknowledged uh, in the workplace or, you know, not being given credit, not being thanked for their hard work. So there are pretty subtle adjustments that we could make mm-hmm. that really have a big influence on others as far as lifting them up and getting them to contribute more and feel more satisfied and you know, greater sense of thriving and work. So those are really good examples. I mean, if somebody, this happens all the time, if somebody receives an email that they think is, is very rude from a coworker or from a boss, how, how should they best respond to that? Well, um, the, one thing you could do is talk to the person directly, if you, especially if you feel like there's a pattern of it, mm-hmm. you know, to just um, be very straightforward about, like, I don't think it's anything intentional. Um, you know, I'm sure that you don't have, you don't mean to do this, but I feel like this mm-hmm. when X happens. Be very specific about it. Um, it, the one thing that I encourage people to avoid is really focusing on this and kind of replaying it in their brain. Because what we find is that it, this kind of experience where someone feels disrespected in some way really tends to pull people off track. Uh-huh. And so they lose their focus. Um, it hijacks their performance, their attention, their creativity. And so what it's really doing is minimizing your contributions at work uh, and often it, because it was unintentional, you know, and so trying to get out of the um, routine of maybe spending too much time replaying it, because I think a lot of people do that uh, when, you know, it, maybe there was nothing meant by it, or maybe we could solve the issue pretty quickly. Right. And you also mentioned um, the scenario of the boss kind of always on their phone or some a coworker maybe always looking at their phone when you're trying to talk to them. Um, is there something that we can do about that? I think that's also a really common thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing, if you're comfortable talking to the person, yeah. so that, that I know that that's a big qualifier because about two-thirds of the time we find that incivility comes from people with more power status, like people – you know, kiss up and kick down. (laughs) So um, we find that, you know, a lot of times you're just not comfortable saying something because it's someone that has more power than you in your organization or in your career. Um, But if you do feel comfortable, you know, just making a suggestion or, you know, one-on-one feedback is really valuable. So for example, starting out and saying, you know, are there a couple things that I'm doing that are really helpful or that are strengths? Are there a couple things that I could work on Mm -hmm. and then kind of flip it to the other person, you know, so that it's more about giving Mm -hmm. each other feedback, like peer feedback in a very, um, you know, constructive manner. So 
was just talking with a leader yesterday and she was talking about feedback, such a gift. I wish I could get people, you know, to think about feedback as a gift. And it is because, you know, most of us feel really awkward giving negative feedback, but I think it's in the spirit of radical candor, which is like you care personally, but you can still have direct conversations or challenge a person, you know, to to kind of do better. But I think a lot of times, Part of it is just if you've kind of set the table and showed that you've cared in small ways, uh, then people are far less defensive and far more likely to take the feedback and really try to improve those things. Yeah, that would be a good way to go about it. Um, and what if I think you've I think you've written about this a little bit. Um, what if there's just a, a person who is very toxic in your environment? Is there anything you can do? Yeah, well, again, you know, especially if you, if they have more power, like you can't, you know, you can't necessarily um, get, get away from them unless you quit. I mean, one just practical suggestion is you try to avoid, you know, um, working directly with them. Is there someone that you can work through, you know, their assistant or a teammate or a colleague? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really not ideal to have to interface um, with someone, particularly in person, um, it, that's extremely toxic. So we talk about some organizations in the extreme, if they have someone super talented and so forth that they're just not willing to cut ties with, can you almost put them in a bubble, you know, to protect um, people from that person, whether mm-hmm. that toxic individual is allowed to work from home or work remotely or work, wh- whatever the case may be. But really what you're trying to do is avoid especially the in-person uh, interactions where you feel like, you know, it's going to take you totally off track. Um, and in the long run, if you're suffering from a toxic colleague or typically a boss, mm-hmm. then, you know, you may want to think about other options for yourself. Because mm-hmm. uh, what we know from research, others' research, is that it really can affect people's health in the long run. And so um, it's kind of, you know, it chips away at us without us really being aware of it because we think these are minor incidents that we should be able to rise above. But, you know, it's, it takes that silent toll on us. And so we right. just want to be aware of that. Right. And I, I know you've written that, you know, if somebody is facing incivility at work, one of the greatest things they can do for themselves is to thrive outside of work. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could kind of yeah. talk about that and what, what that would mean. Sure. So one of the uh, positive things that we find is that, you know, the biggest buffer to incivility at work and taking you off track is just this idea of you feel a sense of thriving. So that sense of you feel like you're moving forward, you feel, you know, better sense of vitality and learning and development. And if you're unable to create those kind of ideas in the workplace, uh, we find that it's really beneficial to focus on that outside of the workplace. So Mm -hmm. in other words, you feel like you have a good support system, you feel like um, you may take up a new hobby, or you may do something healthy outside, Mm -hmm. you know, you may um, spend time with people that make you laugh a lot, you know, people that are energizers, and all of those things really build yourself up and make you more resilient. So you're bringing a stronger, healthier, more positive self back into the workplace such that um, you're able, it buffers you, you know, and you don't feel the negative effects of instability or 
toxicity nearly as much. So they don't pull you off track as much. You're more centered and stronger, more resilient. Right. Uh, so that those those negative incidents don't, you know, um, really squelch you as a person. Yeah, that's so interesting because we write about a lot of those things uh, in the magazine, in Live Happy magazine and on the website all the time about resilience and the importance of um, relationships and and also exercise and eating well and just all those things to buffer your well-being. And I think that that's what you're talking about as well, just to buffer your own well-being so that you're in as good of health and, and spirits as you can be so that when you come into work, you're not already exhausted and depleted. Um, ready to be kind of affected by the negativity that may be there. Yeah, absolutely. We Exactly. We find that, you know, it's the one antidote to incivility is kind of you can't necessarily control others, but what you can do is control yourself. Um, and not only how you respond, but, you know, how you uh, enable yourself to withstand that negativity because you really have inoculated yourself from a lot of it um, by bringing that stronger, more resilient, healthier self into the workplace, hmm. um, and you know, uh, not letting you pull pull it off you off track, I think is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've talked a lot about the the costs of incivility. I guess the costs, financial costs, as well as sort of emotional costs. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, I mean, the big thing that we found very early on from surveying people across all different industries, different levels in the organization was that, you know, when people felt disrespected or treated rudely or insensitively, it really affected their motivation. So two thirds of people cut back their work efforts, um, 80% lost time worrying about the incident, 12% actually left their job as a result. And what we found since then was that, you know, when we compared those that experience sensibility to those that don't in experiments, so we can control a lot of other factors, what we find is that people that experience sensibility perform far worse. Um, they're not as creative. They're not as helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sadly, what we found since then is that it affects witnesses in a very similar way. So this isn't just about you know, two people kind of interacting. It's, if you're working in an environment where this goes on, whether you see it or hear it, uh, it really does pull others off track such that they don't perform as well. They're not as creative, not as helpful. Um, and so the costs add up very quickly, particularly around retention and turnover. But um, Cisco took just a few of these numbers and estimated very conservatively it was costing them $12 million a year. Wow. Um, a hospital recently estimated over $30 million a year uh, hmm. with their financial team. So it does add up quickly. Uh, and I think, you know, these folks have taken, you know, pretty conservative look at this as far as just some of those numbers. Uh, so, and so, yeah, we really want to pay attention to that. So when you talk about um, the num- the actual dollar amounts, is that sort of like days off that people are taking and lost work and lost productivity? Is that where those numbers are coming from? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually they don't actually factor in absenteeism okay. sometimes, um, but it usually it's the uh, uh, lost time, lost, um, you know, so they're computing hours lost okay. because, you know, they're they're not as committed or they're not working as hard. Um, and then the retention number in particular, oh, the turnover retention number, is a big they're thing. losing mm-hmm. folks. Yeah, that's actually one of the biggest costs right. as far as hitting the bottom line 
Um, but, but there are others. For example, one that's not often computed is the potential legal cost. You know, well. if, if um, there are lawsuits, um, and also a very hidden cost uh, is the healthcare costs associated with this, as you know, um, which is why, you know, you really want to focus on your employees taking care of themselves and stuff, and also reporting these kind of things. Right. I mean, that's one of the sad things is that less than half of people will actually report this kind of thing because um, I think two things really we found is one, out of a sense of fear, but often, again, because it comes with someone from what has more power, mm-hmm. but another reason is because they feel a sense of hopelessness, like mm-hmm. will the organization actually act? Uh, so unfortunately, the organization often never finds out about this. You mean report to um, HR? To HR. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. That, that statistic is very interesting. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you something about um, what's going on right now. Do you think there's more of a spotlight on workplace civility at the moment because of the Me Too movement and harassment that's been in the news? I do. I, I get a lot more um, calls and inquiries because of that. Okay. And I think that definitely uh, there's a correlation between incivility and harassment, um, you know, in large part because uh, often it may be associated with, I feel like I can get away with it or, you know, um, no one stopped me yet. Mm-hmm. Or I started with these small things and now it escalates. Mm. Uh, so sadly, I think that, you know, they, the, the two are related. And doesn't necessarily mean that always happens, <laughs> you know, in, in organizations that uh, incivility is prevalent. But nonetheless, um, I do think that there's a pattern for that. Yes. Um, and sort of the contrary of that, like what can a company do to encourage a culture of civility sort of coming from the top down? Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it starts at the top, and so leaders really need to be committed that they're going to be role models for this. So Mm -hmm. particularly if you say you have these values, leaders really have to walk the talk and set the tone um, because we hear far too often, uh, you know, that I'm doing this because my leaders (laughs) act that way. So I think that that's really important. But recruiting and selecting for civility, in other words, doing your homework and you know, asking around to ensure that you're getting people that have treated others, particularly with less power and status, better um, and respectfully. That's really important. So picking people that will fit the culture that you are striving for. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't think that that's usually at the top of people's um, hiring list, you know. I don't, it's it's not usually at the top of the list, but it probably should be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important because that, to me, is one of the the biggest cost savings that you can have, Mm -hmm. Um, certainly because, you know, to get rid of them, it's extremely costly, especially if you've onboarded them and given them training and all of that. But also, you know, if you've kept them at all, what happens is, you know, incivility is like a virus, and so it's contagious. I wanted to ask you about that as well. So it, it is contagious. It is. And mm-hmm. so if you're selecting someone and bringing them in, what tends to happen is, you know, other people catch this, right? And mm-hmm. and it spreads. And, you know, sometimes, not hopefully many organizations, but sometimes what happens is 
you know, people want to get rid of that person, mm. um, but they unload them on some other department or team internally. And so the virus just spreads, you know, so <laughs> right. instead of kind of cutting your losses, it actually um, it grows basically in terms of taking hold in your organization. And so I think that those are some of the biggest costs, but, but you also want to really highlight you know, what you stand to gain from civility. So having expectations, which leaders play a big role in setting, I think is important. Training has been shown to be really effective. So I think the big part of it is bringing awareness to, you know, what are the costs of this? What are the benefits of being civil? You know, kind of how, what are some things that we could all do? Um, just you know, making people more mindful of this is mm-hmm. key. And then ideally, organizations will score it. And what I mean by that is, you know, it matters whether they're rewarding for it on an informal basis or just really reinforcing it, you know, Mm -hmm. the positive stuff that Mm -hmm. they see out of people. But also, uh, you know, ideally, is it in performance evaluations of some sort? And, you know, is the person at least living the values that the firm has? Um, And so, you know, that's one thing. And, you know, many organizations will provide feedback to people about how they're doing, which is great. Uh, and then, you know, practicing it. So following up on are people improving? And if not, you know, holding people accountable such that you don't, you know, necessarily retain them if, right. if it's a, a pattern and, you know, they um, are, don't seem interested in improving. Right. Well, that is so useful. That's such useful information. And I, I want to thank you for talking to us. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. To learn more about Christine Parath's book, Mastering Civility, A Manifesto for the Workplace, visit us at livehappynow.com. If you like what you've heard here today and you want to hear more, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Search for Live Happy Now and subscribe today so you'll never miss an episode. That's all the time we have for you today. So until next time, this is Jeff Sanders wishing you a great day and hoping that every day you live happy.